the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Stand by for the Northern Alliance Radio Network. And go launch sequence. Engineering. Go flight. Master control. Go flight. Studio engineer. Go flight. We are go for launch in T-minus three, two, one. We have liftoff. The Northern Alliance Radio Network is on the air. Live and local from the AM 1280 The Patriot Studios in Egan, here is The Closer, Brad Carlson. AM 1280 The Patriot. Northern Alliance Radio Network. Back with hour number two of the broadcast we like to call The Closer. That's me, Brad Carlson. Thanks as always for tuning into our show. You can check out my blog at bradcarlson.org. And we are here to take your phone call, 651-289-4488. You can also weigh in via Twitter. Just use hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag N-A-R-N Show for any comments or questions. And if you'd like to follow us along on Facebook, just go to Facebook.com. Do a search for the Northern Alliance Radio Network and give our site a like or a follow if you have not done so already. And as always, we appreciate you tuning in. Yeah, I spent the first hour talking about the Supreme Court decision reversing Roe v. Wade. Uh, you know, I didn't anticipate spending that much time on it, but it shouldn't be uh, any surprise. A lot of layers to it. It's a huge decision, historic decision, no, no doubt about it, and uh, lots more we could talk about. But I did want to move on to a couple of other cases, real important cases that were decided upon uh, this is from Amy Swearer. She is a legal fellow at the Edwin Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation, uh, writing for the thedailysignal.com. Uh, the Supreme Court on Thursday issued its first significant opinion in a Second Amendment case in well over a decade, striking down a New York state law that effectively denied ordinary residents the right to carry a firearm in public for self-defense. Yeah, because there's probably not a whole lot of violent crime taking place in, oh, I don't know, New York City these days? No, not too much. Uh, this decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin is a major victory for the sanctity of the Constitution, the integrity of the Supreme Court, and the personal safety of all Americans who choose to protect themselves with firearms. In an opinion written by Justice Clarence Thomas, a majority of six justices affirmed that the Second Amendment means what it says. The people have a right not just to keep, uh, not just to keep, but to bear arms, including in public places for self-defense. As a result, New York and other states with similar laws cannot continue treating this fundamental constitutional right as a unique privilege for the select few who government officials believe are sufficiently justified by a special need to protect themselves. So what New York was 
uh, was what they call a May issue state. And I believe there were uh, nine states in total uh, that were May issue. And this is from the United States Concealed Carry Association. That's defined, May issue is defined as an applicant must pass basic requirements and the issuing authority, which would be your county sheriff, police department, etc., is allowed to use their own discretion in either issuing or denying a permit. So here in Minnesota, uh, Minnesota since 2003, I believe, uh, maybe it's been 2005, is a shall-issue state, which means if you uh, apply for a permit, you know, in this case, you know, where I live in Oka County, I applied for my permit to carry, and they perform the necessary background checks. And once I passed the background checks, they issued me a permit. The Noka County did. It was that easy. Well, this is more of a two-step process in May issue states where this jurisdiction could deny you a permit. And this indi- and I'll read a little bit further. Uh, some May issue states require an applicant to show, quote-unquote, good cause for obtaining a permit, while other states require the applicant to show he or she is of suitable character and may require character references to authorize a permit. Other states require mental health records checks. Uh, There are currently nine may-issue states. To exercise your constitutional right, you have to go through extra scrutiny. And I love how Clarence Thomas, yeah, he went there. Uh, This is his majority opinion uh, regarding deciding this case. A short prologue is in order. Even before the Civil War commenced in 1861, this court indirectly affirmed the importance of the right to keep and bear arms in public. Writing for the court in Dred Scott v. Sanford back in 1857, Chief Justice Taney offered what he thought was a parade of horribles that would result from recognizing that free blacks were citizens of the United States. If blacks were citizens, Tanny fretted, they would be entitled to the privileges and immunities of citizens, including (gasps) the right to keep and carry arms wherever they went. Damn the torpedoes. Uh, No, Justice Thomas didn't say damn the torpedoes. I said that. Uh, Thus, even Justice Taney recognized, albeit unenthusiastically in the case of blacks, that public carry was a component of the right to keep and bear arms, a right free blacks were often denied in antebellum America. So there you have it. So, yeah, when they say all gun control is racist, that's what they're talking about. Where these issuing jurisdictions, even if you pass a background check, they can deny you for any reason they so desire. Or you can make your case, say, well, uh, you know, I'm uh, constantly under threat of a uh, of a co-worker because he doesn't like my politics or he doesn't like this or that. And, uh, oh, by the way, have you been to the New York City subway recently? Yeah, okay. Not the, not the best thing to be uh, completely helpless and unarmed there, is it? You know, these are just some examples. And they could deny you. And they don't they probably don't have to give a reason. But I could see how that second step in that two step process of may issue states could be uh, could be discriminatory 
uh, in nature or could be rife with abuse. You know, and, and th- th- this is what's this is what's interesting to me. Most interesting to me about this decision is one of the uh, progressive chanting points that has been so prolific in this gun debate. Heck, I played a sound clip of this the past few weeks. Is that if more black people own guns, that we Second Amendment advocates will start to tout gun control real quick? Well, the fastest demographics in purchasing guns, first-time gun owners in particular, has been overwhelmingly African-Americans, particularly in the aftermath of the summer of unrest two years ago. And who is the only one that's been calling for gun control? Hasn't been Second Amendment advocates. So the ruling on the Bruin decision on Thursday will make it easier for all New Yorkers because, you know, there are 43 states that are shall issue, so these other states have to uh, amend their laws to meet the criteria of shall issue at, at, the, at minimum. Now, there are 25 that are constitutional carry where you don't need to get a permit to carry a firearm, but you still have to back, pass background check to purchase a firearm. But, again, I digress. The New Yorkers, this Bruin decision, it's making it easy for all New Yorkers to own a firearm or at very minimum get their permit. Yet it's the progressives who are most bothered by this decision. So think about the two big decisions that came down at the Supreme Court this past week. You had Roe being overturned and the Second Amendment being reaffirmed by the Supreme Court. Now, Roe being overturned almost certainly means that more black babies are going to be allowed to live, right? I mean, sadly, if you look at abortion rates, it's overwhelmingly percent overwhelming percentage are black babies, which, let's be honest, Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, that was kind of her goal, wasn't it? So more black babies are going to be allowed to live? And more black people in New York are going to be allowed to get a permit to carry a gun. And yet it's lily white progressives who were extolling the most anger over both of these decisions. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I, and by the way, I love it. Our only, uh, uh, well, not uh, of, of the court that decided this uh, currently justice Thomas was the only black justice. Now justice, uh, Brown Jackson. Now she will assume her seat now that Justice Breyer has retired after this term. But in this particular court decision, Justice Thomas was the only black justice. And uh, the fact that he cited uh, Justice Taney's uh, concern uh, that blacks will be able to <gasps> carry in public because of this law. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a bug, not a feature to uh, <laughs> Justice Taney back then. And the fact that Clarence Thomas went there, I absolutely love it. And just an aside. Um, in the aftermath of these decisions, how liberally the N-word, and I mean the full N-word, was used on Twitter when talking about Clarence Thomas. I mean, I, I, you, you can't call a biological male a male in the case of Rachel Levine, member of Joe Biden's cabinet. That gets you banned from Twitter. But using the full N-word or threatening the life of Justice Thomas, 
That somehow didn't violate Twitter's terms of service, and a lot of those tweets are up and still standing if you want to know where Twitter's priorities are. So, I, I mean, it's it just absolutely despicable. But, again, this is this is the court's job. The court's job isn't to read the room or moisten their thumb, stick it in the air, and determine where the political winds are blowing. They make decisions based on the law, based on the Constitution, and that's exactly what these two decisions were based upon, upon the law. Because you had all these blue check marks, particularly some people like Jeffrey Tubin, and I'll try to avoid as many double entendres when talking about Jeffrey Tubin as I can as I can. This is this is supposed to be a legal guy. And he's saying that this decision makes owning a gun for, for the most privileged? What? How how do you get that out of reading this decision? It's it's absolutely unbelievable. So, again, uh, all these people saying, hey, I read the room. The Supreme Court clearly doesn't have their finger on the pulse of public opinion. Good. That's not their job. As one of the three co-equal branches of government, their job is to determine, just make decisions on the law based within the framework of the law. Amazing how that works. So uh, there there's still, I guess, a few more key decisions to come this week, and uh, I have a feeling that uh, the denigration of Clarence Thomas's character uh, is only ramping up, if that's possible, uh, given some of the decisions that may come down this week. But uh, absolutely a fantastic decision made at the Supreme Court uh, to reaffirm the uh, Second Amendment. Uh, and the recent gun legislation that was passed this past week and signed by the president into law uh, sounds like the gun owners of America are going to take that up, too. So uh, it's uh, eternal vigilance when you're a Second Amendment supporter. That is for certain. 651-289-4488 is the number to call. You can also weigh in via Twitter, hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag N-A-R-N show. Brad Carlson, the closer, coming back with another segment on the broadcast. Go nowhere. crouched at the starting line engines pumping and thumping in time the green light flashes the flags go up churning and burning they yearn for the cup they deftly maneuver hey welcome back burning fast on an empty tank am 1280 the patriot northern alliance radio network with me brad carlson 651-289-4488 that's the number to call you can also weigh in via twitter hashtag narn show that's hashtag n-a-r-n show for any comments or questions as always we appreciate you tuning in well this past thursday uh, the supreme court of the united states ruled that the second amendment is still a thing and they also ruled uh the previous couple of days on tuesday to be exact that the first amendment is also still a thing this is from the associated press supreme court ruled tuesday that maine can't exclude religious schools from a program that offers tuition aid for private education a decision that could ease religious organizations access to taxpayer money the six to three outcome could fuel a renewed push for school choice programs in some of the 18 states that have so far not directed taxpayer money to private religious education. The most immediate effect of the court's ruling beyond Maine probably will be felt next door in Vermont, which has a similar program. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote for a conservative majority that the program violates the Constitution's protections for religious freedoms. Maine's non-sectarian requirement for its otherwise generally available tuition assistance payments violates 
the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. Regardless of how the benefit and restrictions are described, the program operates to identify and exclude otherwise eligible schools on the basis of their religious exercise, Roberts wrote. The court's three liberal justices dissented. This court continues to dismantle the wall of separation between church and state that the framers fought to build, Justice Sonia Sotomayor wrote. Well, it's... It's amazing to me. First of all, uh, the separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. What it says is that the state will not essentially not interfere with a citizen's free exercise of religion, but it also can't mandate a state religion. So I'm I'm not understanding what the issue is here. I mean, are these religious schools that are getting uh, tuition dollars in order for, you know, kids to go there? Because, well, here's some context. In this area of Maine, there are no public secondary schools. So the issue is, well, then these kids have to go to private school. Well, private school's not cheap. So I guess the Department of Education, obviously an agent, uh, a sect of the government, indicated that, well, okay, then we'll help out with tuition assistance, essentially taking tax dollars to provide assistance for these families to allow their kids to go to school of their choice. Now, these religious schools, they aren't teaching strictly religious principles. I mean, they obviously have basic school subjects that kids are going to have to learn, like math, English, language arts, whatever else, American history, hopefully. Given the way some people were talking about uh, the co-equal branches of government and democracy and all that this past week. Hopefully the civics education is pretty strong in these schools, but I digress. But a couple of these reactions were pretty predictable. Again, Jeffrey Tubin, CNN legal analyst, uh, where SCOTUS is heading. All parents get vouchers and they can send their kids to public or parochial schools. Separation of church and state is a vanishing concept at the Supreme Court. Well, again, that's technically not uh, and so there, one aspect of it. Also, you had uh, Daily Beast writer Wajat Ali. Uh, this was what he put out. He says, uh, private Islamic schools and Jewish schools should open up all over Maine. The state has yet, or, or the state has to fund you now, so take advantage of it. Move your communities there as well. Let's see what the Supreme Court says. Um, They just said what they said in their opinion, that there is no interference in free exercise of religion. That includes private Islamic schools and private Jewish schools as well. I'm not, I'm not understanding the rationale here. And the amazing thing is, I don't think that that, that sentiment was, it reached its intended targets because they thought he was going to get a flood of dissension from school choice advocates. Well, many of them hop on board and say, yeah, yeah, great. You're with us. Welcome to the cause. So, I mean, this is this is kind of what the well, where we've been going for a couple of years. I mean, you think about it during the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic in the spring of 2020, the last three months of the school year, schools were shut down. Now, of course, the following year, there was more of a hybrid model. Some schools opened, some didn't. Some were, you know, half and half, half at home, half at home 
school. But the point is, the first three months of the pandemic back in starting in March of 2020, that was a real eye opener for parents because they would obviously some of them, if they could, they could be at home with their kids while their kids were doing online school and they would get an idea of what was going on, you know, within their child's education. And, you know, some were fine with it. Some were okay with the course content. Others, maybe not so much. And so that really started to open the eyes of some parents and some of them wonder aloud if they weren't aware that this was already an opportunity that, hey, there could be an opportunity, like some states have chosen to fund uh, students instead of systems. I mean, if, if, there is a, if there are tax dollars earmarked for a student to go to a specific school, you know, could those same dollars be utilized to send that kid to the school of the, of the parent's choice? You know, I mean, this has been talked about more than just recently. Probably, I've been hearing about it for at least the past decade and a half, maybe a couple of decades, that that school choice in in particular could potentially be the civil rights era issue of our time. And a lot of parents were getting on board with it. Say, so, yeah, you know, I you know I like our local area, like our everything else, but there's a private school in the area that I think is better for my specific child's needs, and I'd like to send my child there. Obviously, private school that. You know, that's a pretty big lift financially. But again, the sentiment was if I could take the tax dollars that are already earmarked for that, for my child going to public school, why can't we just shuffle them over here? And there's been a lot of debate going forward. But again, in the aftermath of the pandemic, that had there has been momentum to that. And there have been I countless states i i see it all the time Corey DeAngelis is a great follow on twitter by the way he's he's big school choice advocate and he's constantly documenting all of the battles within our state legislatures across the country of what states are choosing to fund students instead of systems and it's a it's a good number of them so you know that's certainly something to uh, to take a look at but uh, once again, the editors at uh, at uh, at National Review they also weighed in on this uh, particular case. Um, let me be sure to get the case name correct here. It was, uh, yeah, it was Carson versus Macon, M A K I N. Just for the uh, for the record, I'm I geek out over some of this stuff, so I like to search SCOTUS blog and whatever by the case name just so I have it straight. But this is again the editors at uh, National Review of the past. Two years have taught us anything as a society. It is that American school children should not be held hostage by a public education monopoly that is unable to keep schools open, safe, component. Uh, many of the parents voting with their feet to take their children out of public schools have an additional urgent interest on their minds. They want their children schooled in their faith and in the values informed by their faith. Ideally, Public money for education at every level should follow the student, not the institution. The public education bureaucracy, out of both self-interest and ideological desire to retain its captive audience, has long wielded the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment against religious parents, demanding that they, and they alone, must choose between the school of their choice and the public support that every other student receives. Using the language of the Burger Court's much-derided lemon test, which ventured far from the original understanding of the Bill of Rights, the Edocrats have argued that it is unconstitutional to have any entanglement 
between government and religious schools. And this telling, substituted by a, uh, substituting a letter by Thomas Jefferson for the actual text of the First Amendment, religious parents and students must be separated from taxpayer money by a quote-unquote wall of separation in order to protect the sanctity of the separation of church and state. The Supreme Court, which has been dismantling, dismantling this framework in a series of decisions in 2002, 2017, and 2020, has now properly and finally interred all of this as extra-constitutional nonsense. A 70-year-old attending the school of her parents' choosing in a faith different from her neighbor's school is not an establishment of any particular faith. It is the freedom to exercise every faith or none, the state of religious liberty the Constitution contemplates. So when you get this uh, Daily Beast writer indicating that, well, there you have it, private, private Islamic schools and Jewish schools should open up all over Maine. It's like, yeah, exactly. I mean, the school choice advocates are saying that very thing. Yes, welcome to the cause. Absolutely. And by the way, what uh, another aspect of this that people missed, the original amicus brief was brought forth for by both uh, proprietors of an Islamic school and an Orthodox Jewish congregation of America. The original amicus brief brought forth in this case. So that's what initially or instantly or triggered this particular case. So uh, definitely fascinating reading uh, Carson versus Macon if you want to look it up on scotusblog.org. Brad Carlson, the closer, back with another segment on the broadcast. Go nowhere. Hey, welcome back. AM twelve eight of the Patriot Northern Alliance Radio Network. Me, Brad Carlson. Six five one two eight nine four four eight eight. That's the number to call. You can also weigh in via Twitter at hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag N A R N Show for any comments or questions. As always, we appreciate you tuning in. Going to take a little transition now. Talk to our newly crowned Miss Minnesota. All of about eight. Nine days now. Rachel Evangelisto, she is our new Miss Minnesota crowned again a week ago Friday. We're going to talk about uh, her reign going forward. Uh, obviously, uh, Miss America will take place uh, sometime in December. It always seems to be around Christmas time, what she has planned for her reign and how this is an historic title. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more. We're going to do an on-air production meeting right now. Rachel, scoot as close as you can to that microphone without touching it, and Jacob will adjust the volume to you, and that'll be good. Right. Uh, Rachel Evangelisto, welcome to the broadcast, young lady. How Hello. are you? Oh, yes. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Congratulations. Uh, nine whole days. Uh, I know I, I've been yeah. following your activity on social media. It's been the uh, veritable whirlwind. Uh, seems like media oh, yeah. appearances each and every day, Rachel. Is yes, right? yes. And I think that's been a big adjustment for me. I've never done TV interviews, never been on the radio, or been interviewed by a newspaper so a lot of that was a big adjustment to take on right away but it was so much fun to to get to test myself and push myself the very very first week um and to see my name get into the headlines yeah very very exciting time obviously uh now i was trying to think of this uh, before the show um are you like what is it like the 85th 87th anniversary miss minnesota i, I can't 86. remember 86. 86 i knew I it was 80 something mm-hmm. okay yeah yeah, that's right, because the first year I ever emceed, my listeners know this, I, I bore them with these details. I, <laughs> I was uh, MC the first year was 2015, the 80th anniversary of oh, uh, Miss okay. Minnesota. So uh, I was trying to think, was that 75 years or 80? I can't remember, so it must have been 80 years. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. 86. <laughs> As a result. So 
Uh, so what can you tell us? How do you feel? What's it like wa- walking yeah. around with a crown and sash, Rachel Evangelisto? I think, I mean, I get the, this really special crown box to keep the new crown and sash in. And every single time I open it still, I'm just like, wow, that's mine. And it's it's so cool to wear it. On, I'm wearing it on my head right now. And um, the whole first week was really surreal. And that's what I just kept describing it as. Um, so having all those news e- news media interviews and being on social media and just seeing so many people start to follow me and the way that my life is just going to change and I have to adjust to that was a big adjustment and now I feel like the reality is kind of hitting now I'm kind of ready to get into Miss America mode move forward with that start with planning and prep and and get um, real solidified plans for my year going oh absolutely yeah and we kind of alluded to uh, the historical nature of this title not only were you the first your local title was of course down in Winona Miss Winona yes not only were you the first Native American Miss Winona you're mm-hmm. the first Native American Miss Minnesota in the 86 yeah. year history Rachel Evangelisto very historic yes and I think that was just a whole different reality that I was of course excited about that I really wanted and when it kind of got to that point and I was standing there first maybe first runner up maybe winner um the reality of that hit me when I looked out to Lori Martin Kingbird, who was a fellow Native American candidate. We're big fans of Lori so, here, too. Yes, yeah, absolutely yeah. love her. And um, as soon as I turned around with the crown on my head, she came up to me and said, you're the first Native American Miss Minnesota. Oh, I love and it. I started sobbing. Like, I started crying. And those pictures are not cute. But it was just such a reality for me. And I'm really, truly honored and so excited to take that message forward in the future. And what a, what an incredible inspiration it has to be for the young women in your community, mm-hmm. many of whom may not have thought they could ever reach uh, such heights as, you know, I mean, people are familiar with Miss America and yeah. Miss Minnesota, and now that someone has actually done it, the inspiration you're providing in your own community, Rachel. Yeah, well, and I've been competing since I was 13 years old, and okay. I know what a difference it would have made to me to see a Native American title holder, or even just a local candidate. So I'm so excited to be the representation that I know I needed when I was young to many, many Native girls and just people of diverse backgrounds in general, not even Indigenous, but sure. just, just to share in that joy that I come from a non-traditional background into this um, kind of pageant competition world and to be able to share that experience and say if i can do it you can do it too representative america yeah miss representative america right? america yeah. right yeah absolutely well i love it well uh that's a great segue you know you talk about you've been competing within the organization you know since you were 13 mm-hmm. how did you first get introduced to it how did, what was your yeah. inspiration to get involved it was actually a woman by the name of Sarah Frankenstein, who um, is really a successful attorney now. She lives out in Rapid City, South Dakota. Okay. But um, I just had met her through a friend of a friend, and she thought that I had potential. And quite honestly, I, I did not see it. I was this really shy kid that had a lisp and um, a slight speech impediment. And I had no self-confidence, hardly spoke above a whisper. And she really took me under her wing and kind of influenced my future and taught me what to do, maybe what not to do, and how to just have the confidence. And to be be honest I lost my first seven to nine competitions I didn't win at all for probably two years um, but I'm a tenacious kid a tenacious adult and my determination I mean was pretty much the only thing that got me through <laughs> well I, yeah that's a and that's a great yeah. message too not only your background and inspiring a lot of young ladies in your community but just the overall tenacity I mean that's a yeah. language that everybody could certainly relate to Rachel. I love it yeah so how did you uh, now you Talk about your time in South Dakota. When did you make the transition to, over to Minnesota? And had you ever competed in locals in Minnesota before Winona? Yes. Great question. I So I was born in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Grew up in Rapid City. Okay. Um, my wonderful aunt Heather, who is with us in the studio today, um, actually would take me out and I'd get to visit her in Minneapolis. And I remember, I mean, just coming to Minnesota and thinking, oh my gosh, I love <laughs> this. I want to live here. And then once, once I 
um, put my feet on the Twin Cities campus in Minneapolis, I said, this is where I want to go to school. Like, I love this. This is my home. This is my future. And um, so I've been visiting since I was a kid. Um, I got accepted into the University of Minnesota Morris, where I went to college, and I've been here ever since. So I, I... From that standpoint, I mean, we talk about uh, typically this competition appeals to, you know, college-age students, maybe mm-hmm. young ladies just entering college, second or third year. Yeah. Uh, you're actually out of your uh, initial degree and actually in the working world have aspirations to go to law school, which we understand is on hold for now. Yep. It's perfectly understandable. So um, with that in mind, and certainly you're probably a year from you know, aging out. I think the age limit was raised recently yes. to 26. So with that in mind, you, what was your mindset going into competition week this past week? Was like minimum top 10 or are you in it to win it? I mean, what, what's kind of your mindset going into yeah. the competition? It, I mean, I was a, I'm, work, I'm a working gal and I've been working full time for the past three years now. So I had this real tangible life experience that really shaped who I was. So I actually stopped competing through that three years. Once, okay. Um, I graduated college. I wanted to focus on school, on graduating, sure. um, on just getting getting through that last part of, of um, my undergraduate. So I stopped competing and I wasn't going to come back at all. Really? Um, yeah. Okay. Many people don't actually know that. And um, I was working. I wanted to, go, wanted to go to law school. So I really focused on that. And then one of my really good friends had won Miss South Dakota. And we were actually roommates together when she first competed. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was that was amazing for me to see. And it was just kind of a, a kick in kicking the keister almost of like that was my dream and that's something I really wanted to do so I wanted to take the experience that I had gained throughout that three years and apply it to the job so going into Miss Minnesota I just felt very comfortable in knowing that I had the experience that I had the ability and that I knew that I was ready to be Miss Minnesota and that I genuinely wanted to be and that had a message that I really cared about about representation and diversity sure um but going in my only goal was to make top five I mean I think when you go into competitions like that you have to be I mean reasonable only one person's going to win. Everybody could be a great candidate, um, and everybody could be a Miss Minnesota in the future. So my only goal was to make top five, and once I did that, I just felt so calmed and relaxed. And if they called me as fourth runner-up or first runner-up, I was really happy just to be there and be um, ha- having made my goal. So I, I'm always curious of that mindset. You know, me, I don't know if you're yeah. a sports fan or not, baseball fan. You know, I always wonder, like, when you know the pitcher's out there and the pitcher's mound and they're having trouble as teammates and his manager come to talk to him. What are those conversations like? Yeah. And I have the same question when it comes down to the final two. What are those conversations like, Rachel yeah. and Angelisto? It's you and, and in this case, a uh, friend of the broadcast, Angelina Marigold. Yes. You're the final two. You're, you, I mean, either one. I, I had no guess. I was actually had an event that evening. My wife is texting me real-time yeah. results. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wouldn't be able to predict out of these final two who emerge victorious. Exactly. What, what's going through your mind? Are you are you? Talk, can you reveal what you were talking about or yeah. can you remember what you were talking about, Rachel? Yeah. Well, and I honestly, me too, because we were just standing there. And again, I was so prepared to be if my name was called for first runner up and that was fine with me. Um, and I remember when we got down to the final two, we were just standing there mm. and we were holding hands and we were literally shaking. Like we were vibrating oh, with moment. one another. Like yeah. we were just shaking and trying to take deep breaths and breathe. And um, I actually just remember, like, leaning in and touching my head to Angelina's and just trying to, like, relax us both and <laughs> close our eyes, take a deep breath. Like, whatever happens next, I know that we were both ready for. And I'm, I'm incredibly proud that she was first runner up to me and that I would have been so happy to have been first runner up to her. So we didn't say much. We just kind of stood there and enjoyed the moment and waited for whatever was going to come next. So there wasn't much conversation, but there was a lot of okay. um, just 
trying to relax one another and just to appreciate that moment together. And I'm really grateful for that. Oh, absolutely. Now, do you allow yourself to think about, hey, I'm one of the final two. I may not win this. I still got a year left. Maybe I could come back. I get this close. Yeah. But just fall. I mean, do you allow yourself to think that way? And, and if so, yep. do you know what you would have decided? Maybe had you just fallen short, Rachel? I, I actually did make that decision. So when I was prepping, I had said, if I make the top five, I would come back one more year because okay. I had my last year of eligibility, but recognizing that I was going to be going to law school. So trying to figure out how to be a full-time student and a full-time title holder was something that I'm glad I don't have to decide now. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I decided if I didn't make the top five that I'd be fine with retiring. And that was it. And I gave my absolute best shot and I put my heart out there and that's all I can be happy with. And that's what exactly what I did. And it worked out this time. Once again, we are joined in studio by the newly crowned Miss Minnesota 2022, Rachel Evangelisto. Uh, we're going to uh, probably take another segment to talk about uh, her social impact, uh, her talent, and uh, what she has planned for this upcoming year. And, hey, if you have a question or comment, feel free to give us a call at 651-289-4488. You can also weigh in via Twitter, hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag N-A-R-N Show for any comments or questions. It is me, Brad Carlson, with one final segment on the broadcast. Go nowhere. Hey, welcome back. That's all I want. AM twelve eighty the Patriot Northern Alliance Radio Network. It is me, Brad Carlson, 651-289-4488 is the number to call. Feel free to weigh in via Twitter at hashtag NarnShow. That's hashtag N-A-R-N Show for comments or questions. And, yes, we do have our live stream up and running. I failed to mention that. And our uh, in-studio guest, Rachel Evangelisto, is waving to the camera right now, as a matter of fact. And I'm, so we are up and running on our live stream. So if you want to leave a comment or question there as well, uh, feel free. Gary uh, says hi from War Road. Well, hello, Gary. Thanks, hi, Gary. as always, for checking in. Yeah, Rachel says hello as well. We appreciate it, Gary. Uh, talking again to newly crowned Miss Minnesota 2022, Rachel Evangelisto, about her new title. A uh, little more than a week since she's been crowned, uh, obviously beginning her journey to Miss America. But, of course, uh, even if she isn't... Uh, isn't crowned Miss America. We're, we always welcome back with open arms our local title holders <laughs> back to our state. Love having them come on back. Uh, it is far from a consolation prize, I'll tell you that much. We <laughs> desire for you to be Miss America, Rachel, but believe Absolutely. me, having you come back will not be a consolation. We'll welcome <laughs> it with open arms, that is for sure. Thank well, you. As I've talked about my involvement uh, with the Miss America organization, the one thing I've learned is what sets Miss America apart from all the other competitions. And again, not to denigrate Miss USA or Miss United States or collegiate, whatever other systems are out there. What sets Miss America apart is a few things, really, is the, is obviously the scholarship money, uh, the talent. I, there are some years in Miss America where talent was like 50% of the score, so yeah. pretty important. And yeah. obviously your, uh, what used to be called platform, now social impact initiative, where these young ladies use their title to go out in their respective communities and make an impact on the community. So I guess we'll start with that, Rachel. Uh, talk about your social impact initiative a little bit. Yeah, yes. 
formerly the platform, now social impact initiative. And um, mine is really centered around, I mean, what I bring. So as the first Native American Miss Winona, first Native American Miss Minnesota, I really wanted to center my year around like our community, around culture, around diversity mm. and inclusion. Sure. Um, not even just indigenous space, but by background and education and family type. Um, so mine is called Celebrating Culture and Driving Diversity. And it's it's genuinely just what I do every single day with everybody I meet, with every child, every appearance that I do. I, I like to bring the representation that I know I needed to see. And kind of my bigger goals overall are to educate everybody about Native American issues, about diversity issues, um, how we can all be diverse and inclusive, um, engage people in having those conversations. Because, you know, that can be hard, especially in our country today, to have those conversations, question, as we yeah. both know. Um, and so just to be open, recognizing that I represent everybody in the state and that I want to have those conversations and um, always be inviting um, and, and welcome people into that world of mine. Um, and lastly, to empower, especially youth. And uh, when we look at youth today, they're kind of facing so many unprecedented things that oh, we never had yes. to as adults. Right. Um, so giving them the ability and just the knowledge to know that, you know, I've gone through those things. I've experience diversity issues and uh, like me just come from a non-traditional background that and that if i can do it you can do it too that if you really have a dream and that you really have the determination and the tenacity to keep chasing after that dream never give up because it will work out in the end for you well speaking of tenacity let's talk a little bit about your talent holy yeah. cow <laughs> that takes a little tenacity i need a bodyguard walking out to the parking lot <laughs> so if you can hang around after i'm kidding of course but uh yeah, uh, talk a little bit about your talent. It, it involved, involved Kung Fu, I believe, some sort of yes. martial arts. Is yep. that correct? Yes. So the whole title of it is Jade Forest Tam Tui Praying Mantis Kung Fu. Okay. And um, I like to think of Kung Fu as kind of the grandfather of all martial arts. Mm. Um, so not to be confused with karate or taekwondo or jujitsu. It's very kind of, I think, in its own element. And um, I, I just so happened to go to one of two schools in America that teach my talent of, of praying really? mantis kung fu. Yeah. One happened to be in my hometown of Rapid City and the other is in Boston, Massachusetts. So it was, I mean, the, one of the honors of my lifetime. And it was something so exciting for me to bring because I'm one of the only candidates that one does martial arts, but the only candidate that does this specific style of kung fu within not only one of very few women in the country, but one of very few candidates in the Miss America system. So it's really exciting. Do you know the other candidates that uh, utilize this ta as a talent? Recall? No, okay. I've seen I've seen some people do different forms of martial arts of, or of, of karate or of different varieties, uh, but not specifically my style of kung fu. No. Yeah, and, and as we also mentioned, in another aspect of this is certainly the scholarship money. I mean, we hear about the just yeah. outrageous co cost of college these days. Ridiculous. And, oh, and in ways young people look, you know, creative ways young people can utilize in order to. You know, alleviate some of those costs, yeah. and certainly this is uh, one area. I mean, I know you've gone through your undergraduate, but you're still aspiring to move on to law school. Certainly, uh, yeah. talk a little bit about the advantage that the scholarship money has for you, Rachel. Yes. So, from Friday night alone, I won ten thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars wow. in scholarships just from Fantastic. Friday night alone, and overall over twenty six thousand dollars. So, I was able to graduate virtually debt free for my undergrad, and now any future earnings that I get will go to law school because. That's pretty expensive. Um, I'm so sure. I'm going to need all the help I'm, I can get. Um, so I know I'm really looking forward to going to Miss America and trying to earn even more because once you get kind of get to that national level, the scholarship dollar amount goes quite a bit up. So I'm really looking forward to trying to get more, earn more, um, and 
kind of manage the debt that I'm going to incur from law school. I know I'm going to get some no matter what, but Miss America and Miss Minnesota have greatly, greatly impacted my education and are one of the only reasons why I'm able to go to law school in the first place. So what made you decide on that uh, vocation in your career, getting into the uh, legal field, Rachel? It Actually, I've always wanted to go since the sixth grade. So really? again, I'm I'm just kind of t- tenacious, um, driven kid, and I have been for a long time. Wow. And I remember sitting down in sixth grade. I really wanted to go into the FBI. And it was, I think, Criminal Minds had a big <laughs> influence over my childhood. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> I think we can all relate. Sure. And sure. I remember sitting down thinking, I want to go into the FBI. There's so many different avenues you can go, but I wanted to be like a lawyer for, mm. for the FBI. And I, I don't know why specifically. I just thought I could be like, like Spencer Reed, essentially. And I remember sitting down, writing down like the 20 point plan and thinking okay i can do this and this and this and learn this language and go to this school and it was all very over ambitious um reality check once i became 18 right and um that was just always a goal of mine and then i started working as an ICWA guardian ad litem and ICWA stands for indian child welfare act and i look up for the best interest of native youth and families involved in child protection and foster care cases so i i go to court weekly i meet with judges and attorneys and lawyers and i realized that i actually really wanted to represent the kids that I worked with and really make actionable change in the legal field with how they're treated, not just indigenous children, but all children involved in child protection and foster care. Um, I wish I could say it was a perfect system, but but it's not. And it's not. And I think our children deserve to be treated better, especially Mm -hmm. here in Minnesota. And I want to become a legal force and have that actionable change within our state. Once again, we are joined in studio by newly crowned Miss Minnesota 2022, Rachel Evangelisto, talking about uh, well her social impact and the impact she's looking to make in her community. Again, Rachel, we only have about a minute or so to go. Okay. Uh, your goal with this title, obviously your social impact yes. is a big part of it, but do you have any uh, overarching uh, goals that you want to accomplish with this title? I mean, yeah. assuming you don't get crowned Miss America, which we hope you do, but yeah, who knows? Uh, obviously a full 12 months in this role. Yep. What are some of the overarching goals that you have for this title? Uh, really just to go as far across the state as I can and share my story. And I really want to get more women involved. I mean, we're seeing just kind of a drop in numbers, but I mean, this organization has changed my life and I know it can change so many others. Another big goal I have is to be one of the first Miss Minnesotas to visit all 11 tribal nations in Minnesota and just kind of bridge that gap between the indigenous community and the Miss America community because they both really shaped who I am. And I really want to honor both of those um, throughout my year and all the way to Miss America. Yeah, and if you want to follow uh, Rachel's year, I mean, any of the social media platforms, uh, I happen to know the uh, <laughs> Miss America yes. dot, uh, Miss America MN, whether it's uh, Twitter or Instagram and Facebook. If yep. you do a search for Miss America MN, you'll find Rachel, and you can follow along on social media her year and uh, also MissMinnesota.org uh, if you would uh, like to uh, follow along uh, what she's got going on because I have a feeling it's going to be uh, quite a year, and it goes quick. Exciting. We're always told, Rachel, and I'm sure yes. you've been told that yep. ad nauseum as well. Well. Rachel Evangelisto, honored to have you in the uh, studio today. Thank you so much for stopping by. Best of luck going forward, and uh, thank you for stopping by. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for tuning in. AM 1280, The Patriot. Godspeed, my friends. Have yourselves a Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.